it's coronation day. At least that's what's been running through my head all week as I've been preparing the sermon. If you have young children, you know that Frozen reference very well. It's coronation day. Well, actually, what it is, is it's Ascension Day. Today is Ascension Sunday. Uh, this is the Sunday that the church celebrates Jesus's ascension. Maybe for some of you, this seems like a kind of obscure church holiday. I mean, what is this? Like Resurrection 2? Uh, Easter light? For many, ascension is just the day that Jesus goes up, right? He ascends. And in a way, for some people, it's when Jesus becomes absent, when they think about it that way. And so we, like the disciples, stare, just stare into heaven. And perhaps many of us need a similar kick in the pants. Why are you staring into heaven? We see the two men say uh, to the disciples at the end of the passage that we read for today. Part of my point today, and just to lay it out there, is that this focus in the ascension and this focus throughout in our lives as followers of Jesus is not up there, but down here. The ascension is Jesus's enthronement. Enthronement. He has not simply survived death at the hands of Roman occupiers. He is the victorious king. And even though many of us have a rightful resistance to language of hierarchy and kingship and authorities, it matters that this person is ascended as king, this proclaimer of good news to the poor, this enemy of the state, this executed criminal has been enthroned. For Jesus to be enthroned here means not that he has gone away and is absent. No, it means that this executed criminal who called to account the kingdoms of the world stands at the center of all that there is. He is the most present reality. We do not stand staring into heaven because his enthronement fills our imagination with the possibility of a new world. So the cor this coronation day lacks the pomp and circumstance that you might find in uh, worldly ascensions to power or coronations. The Jesus community remains in hiding. They are enemies still of those on earthly thrones, and their time is marked by that hiding. But it is also marked, as we see in the beginning of Acts, by eating together. In verse 4, it's really interesting, this word here that gets translated as they ate together, they gathered together, uh, is really a combination of word that means sharing salt. They shared salt together. Now, salt, sharing salt at, at, a, at a meal, is a symbol of friendship, and it is a symbol of covenant. To share salt means to create a pact and a solidarity, a commonality among people. So here it is a creating of social bodies, of a social body of this kingdom that we talk about. And it is in this mealtime setting that Jesus teaches them and commissions them as ambassadors and pilgrims and witnesses. Now, the word for witness is martus. Everybody say martus. Good. I see Margie. I saw Margie say it. So, martus. 
That's the word, as you can probably hear, uh, from which we get the word martyr. Now that is a word that can be uh, distasteful for many, as is witness for a lot of people, depending on the situation that they have encountered that word in. But martyr is often seen by so many as associated with this unhealthy obsession with death and suffering. But at the center of this word, and, and this is what we see here, is not death, but witness. It is a shining forth, a making manifest in our bodies, the truth of justice and peace in Jesus. In the face of the powers and principalities, right? This ascended criminal in the face of the powers and principalities. At the center of the world is life and living in our bodies, the justice of this new kingdom, a reality confirmed with Jesus at the center. To be a witness is to mark with our bodies in life the politics of heaven on earth. Archbishop Oscar Romero, Saint Romero, Saint Oscar was a martyr, for instance. This we know. Though at first the aristocracy, the state powers of El Salvador thought he was unthreatening and easy to control. That's why they supported his ascent to power. But it was the witness of another who gave his life with his full body for the poor, his good friend, Father Rutilio Grande, who was killed by right-wing government mercenaries that resulted in a conversion of sorts for Romero. After Grande's death, Romero himself would take up Father Grande's mantle. And in the same way, he would be executed by American-funded, supplied, and trained right-wing government mercenaries. Lord have mercy on us. We're not here this morning, of course, to glorify or sentimentalize death or suffering, especially those of us who come to, to church, even in our living rooms, without fearing being shot or who suffer very little in comparison. Romero's death was not some individual heroic act, but it was an act in communion. It was an act that was nourished by the body of Jesus and an act that nourishes the body of Jesus. Now and continuing to. It was an act within a world marked by Jesus's ascension. Two weeks ago, I talked about the branches of the vine, about how some bear fruit and some support, waiting for their time to bear fruit. I asked, somewhat as an aside, who consumes the fruit, though? Well, one answer, of course, is that we do, that in communion we consume and are nourished and formed by the fruit of Jesus in each branch that he has nourished before us. Archbishop Romero was nourished by the fruit of his friend, Father Grande, to become an advocate for the gospel of Jesus and good news for the poor. Father Grande and Archbishop Romero were fed by the vine of Jesus and their fruit fed a people, a social body, a social body that scared the fascists in power. And as we celebrate communion today, we drink together from the fruit of this vine. Salvadorians 
know that Grande and Romero died as witnesses of the truth. They died por decir la verdad. Excuse my accent. And that this new vision in, this, in their bodies creates and nourishes bodies and a body that upsets the powers and principalities. Saint Romero said it in one sermon this way, Christ arisen has put in history's womb the beginning of a new world to come to mass on Sunday and for what I'm speaking to share communion together is to immerse oneself in that beginning which again becomes present and is celebrated on the altar at mass, which is present and is celebrated among us as a community. Most of you know about the violence this week in Palestine, including rocket attacks and sectarian violence throughout Israel, often aided by the police. I want to be clear that the history and the realities here are complex, but that does not mean that we should throw up our hands or seek some middle way that's, that says there are no sides, that says that everyone is equally to blame. I need to say this at the outset, that to be against Zionism, to be, against, uh, to be pro-Palestinian rights, to refuse to draw a false equivalency between David and Goliath is not to be anti-Semitic, nor is supporting the BDS movement, which MCUSA um, has, uh, has directed all of its finances to be in support of. I firmly believe that we are called to be peacemakers, but peacemaking does not mean treating all violence as equal. Yesterday, Palestinians observed al-Nakba, that translates as the catastrophe. This is the remembrance of Israel's displacement of over three quarters of a million Palestinians in 1948, the largest ongoing refugee crisis in the world. Many Palestinian families still hold the keys, as you, which is shown here on this sign, to their original homes with the hope that someday they would be allowed to return. As a condition, to Israel's entrance into the UN in 1949, Israel agreed to the right of return. They agreed to it. That would allow those refugees to return to their homes. However, despite their agreement to this, Israel has continuously refused to comply. Instead of a right to return, Israel has continued to confiscate Palestinian land, destroying farms and evicting families. They continue to steal West Bank water with illegal Israeli West Bank settlements taking roughly 20 times the water allowed for Palestinians. Israel has built large road systems throughout the West Bank designated only for Jewish settlers, creating islands of ghettos and subjecting Palestinians to inhumane uh, checkpoint, military checkpoints and the continued abuse of armed soldiers. Children must go through checkpoints as we learn from our CPT interactions daily just to get to school uh, by armed soldiers. Within Israel, separate cards, green and blue, are issued, one for Arabs and one for Jewish Israelis, uh, designating a tiered system of rights. Human Rights Watch has designated all of this as apartheid. And Israel acknowledges that they will never honor the Palestinian right of return, 
because allowing that many Palestinians into the country would threaten its existence as a Jewish state. Yet maintaining this state requires occupation, the denial of rights, the perpetuation of gross racial and economic inequality, and has resulted in the forced and gradual ethnic cleansing of the occupied Palestinian territories. Further, the increasingly right-wing political rhetoric in Israel claims that all the land is Israel's anyway, and it is hard to see how the end goal is not simply the completion of this process of simply removing the Palestinian people. This is what the process of settlements and settlement creation accomplishes. And it is in this climate that the Palestinians uh, and their lives are systematically devalued, denigrated, and destroyed. The violence that broke out this week was part of these tensions. Though many American media reports will begin with rockets fired from Gaza, these came as a response to two major events. First, in East Jerusalem. East Jerusalem has been designated, of course, Palestinian territory by international agreement, though the Israeli state refuses to acknowledge this. It has been seeking to remove Palestinian families from their homes and give the property in East Jerusalem to Jewish settlers in order to gain control of all of Jerusalem and remove all Palestinian claim to any part of the city. This was ideologically bolstered when the US moved its embassy to Jerusalem during the last administration. This week, Palestinians were protesting a specific set of evictions of Palestinians taking place in East Jerusalem, in the East Jerusalem uh, neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah, uh, a neighborhood where Israeli authorities were seeking to give this land to Jewish settlers. Second, Amid these protests, the police put abnormal restrictions on worshipers observing uh, the end of Ramadan at Al-Aqsa Mosque, which you may know as the Temple Mount. Uh, while Palestinians were protesting, there were also right-wing Jewish Israelis marching through the streets, celebrating what they called Jerusalem Day, when they conquered all of Jerusalem and chanting death to Arabs. When some youth, Palestinian youth, threw rocks at the police, the police responded with what sometimes is called non-lethal rounds, rubber bullets. Know that non-lethal rounds does not mean that they're just tickling the protesters. The police stormed the mosque and arrested worshipers, shot rubber bullets at worshipers, leaving 170 injured and 88 hospitalized, some blinded because of rock throwing. It was to this that Hamas responded. I'll come back to that. To be clear, any loss of life is to be mourned, including those who have died needlessly in Tel Aviv. Every life is valuable. And I am not a supporter of Hamas or its methods, but Israel's response has been disproportionate, brutal, and devastating. The identified casualties so far, as of this morning, nine this morning were in, in Gaza, 188 people, including 55 children. But the amount of people that have lost their homes and businesses is far greater and also devastating for an area already suffering from economic deprivation uh, and continual blockade. Additionally, Israel has bombed media outlets, in including the Associated Press. While it is difficult to assign a motive, it appears directed at slowing the reporting that is coming out of Gaza. 
We should also be clear that the end of rocket attacks from both sides is not peace. Calls to nonviolence directed at Palestinians can often sound deaf when the systemic and continued violence of occupation is accepted as status quo. This matters to us as, as Mennonites. This matters to us as followers of Jesus called to be peacemakers. We need to understand the things that make for peace and to call for peace, a real and just peace. It is not a surprise that a primary enabler of this violence, both materially and ideologically, is the United States government. Our government, our government, Palestinians are often centered as violent aggressors in rhetoric. They are told that their path to freedom is to submit to their oppression. And so the US sends 3.8 billion, that is a billion with a B, in military aid annually to Israel, who already has a state-of-the-art military. And just last month, 330 Congress people, including 125 Democrats, it is bipartisan, signed a letter urging that this aid remain unconditional. That is, that this aid, unlike all other aid that the US gives out, that it should not be conditioned on Israel upholding any international law, basic human rights, or rights for those occupied by a foreign state. Further, as a member of the UN Security Council, the US against world opinion continues to block any accountability for Israel's human rights abuses or any action in the International Criminal Court. Israel's settler colonialism, of course, is built in our image, in the US image. The fictions of a wilderness that they were taking over, a degenerate indigenous population, some prior right to the land and devastation of its inhabitants so that they may be ethnically cleansed from the land. If we are to be a repudiating congregation, and we, as we talk about with the doctrine of discovery, we must repudiate the Palestinian occupation. So today we celebrate the ascension. And with this, we affirm that another world is possible, that we are witnesses to this new reality, witnesses in body, in bodies and body to this new reality, that we are citizens of a different kingdom that calls into question the oppression and apartheid regimes of this world. That is what Archbishop Romero taught us in word and body. Communion is a meal as we will celebrate communion later where we are nourished by this Jesus, the son of God executed by the occupying powers for decir la verdad. We are not accomplishing something in that remembrance alone, but we are challenging our own imaginations of the world and the world that is constructed around us. In taking communion, we are set on a trajectory where we fight against our complicity, where we seek a true just peace. We mourn the lives of every life lost and every protester injured every community torn apart by sectarian violence. We deny the lies of our own government and we demand an end to occupation and an end to the apartheid state. It is the crucified Jesus who is enthroned on this ascension day. It is the one executed by the occupying powers that nourishes us. It is God's good news for the poor that animates us. May we see the world this way, May we be thusly nourished, and may our hands, feet, and throats bring forth this good news.
Amen.